Hello and welcome to Vet Club. Um, for those of you that have been listening for a while, you know that the name of the show has been Veterinary Journal Club for quite some time. And that's because the original intent was for this to actually be a Veterinary Journal Club. And um, I'm excited to announce that we're going to get back to that. Um, so today we're going to be doing the first installment of um, you know, our emergency critical care team's journal club. So we're, we're going to be doing Journal Club. I have two guests with me who've been both been on the show before, um, but not for Journal Club. So I have Dr. David Grant and I have Dr. Anna Figueredo who are um, joining us today. And we, um, so yeah, this is, this is the first one of a new series that I'm hoping we'll be able to do weekly or about weekly, um, primarily focusing on topics related to emergency and critical care because that's what we do. And um so, so that, that's kind of it. So if you're um, not used to or you're not familiar with the Journal Club, um, hopefully this will be an introduction to that and an opportunity to try to keep up with the relevant literature. That's really the main goal is there's so much information out there it's impossible to keep up with. Um, and it's also, I find sort of hard to like motivate yourself to just sit down and like read journal articles. Um, and it's frankly more enjoyable to discuss them with colleagues um, and to get other people's takes. So that that's the, the goal for um, this journal club. And so I will start by just, you know, sharing what the articles that we've chosen for this week are. Um, we, you know, there's two articles, part of a theme. Uh, the first one, the one that I'd like to start with, but is uh, is called chloride content of fluids used for large volume resuscitation is associated with reduced survival. And this is from a 2017 article in Critical Care Medicine. Uh, Ian Sen is the, the first author on that one. So if and this will be in the um, on the Fireside website, too, if you need links to that. The second article is uh, balanced crystalloids versus saline in critically ill adults. Um, and this is from New England Journal of Medicine in 2018. First um, author is Matthew Semler. So those are the two articles we're going to discuss today. Um, they're both, you know, regarding fluid type choices in the critical care setting, specifically with regard to balanced um, fluids, which generally is talking about how much chloride is in a fluid. So, um, yeah. I've been talking enough. Uh, <laughs> I'll let you guys uh, chime in. So you guys both have the articles there in front of you as well. We all kind of have them, so we'll refer to them as needed. But um, first thoughts from you guys. Um, I personally, I was I was reading the papers, and in my mind, I don't know, regular saline to me was more detrimental to the kidneys because of mm -hmm. the higher volume of, or amount of sodium mm -hmm. and not so the chloride. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, uh, yeah, I, I felt like kind of dumb. I was like, oh, I didn't even know it's <laughs> the chloride and, and uh, acidemia and vasoc renal vasoconstriction and, and things like that. So I felt a little bit dumb. But but this, you know, it was really... So does, now do you feel smarter? Yeah, I, okay. feel, a little, I mm -hmm. feel better. I feel better now. Yeah, wait, I mean... You can't expect to know things if you've never learned them, right. right? Like if no one's ever taught you or if you've never come across it. And um, so hopefully that doesn't make you feel dumb. Um, <laughs> uninformed, you know, is different, I think, than dumb. <laughs> uninformed, you know, right, and right, right. everybody didn't know this until people started looking at it. Right, right. You know, we've been doing this for a long time. But right. um, that was one of the things I wanted, one, why I wanted to kind of bring these articles up in the beginning, because I think it is one of those things that 
doesn't get discussed. Exactly. And I didn't know it for a very long time either. This is fairly recent. St- I mean, these articles are from 2017 and 2018. That is right. not exactly ancient no, history. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of people, um, I think we need to have a better criteria on choosing fluid mm-hmm. types. Mm-hmm. And I think it brings to our, th- I think sometimes it's very automatic or people choose, oh, I'm going to do um, regular saline mm-hmm. or 0.9% uh, mm-hmm. sodium chloride because I've always done it, yeah. not because there's no reason. Like they, right. There's no I, I think with you here, that's where there's more attention to that. At least the place I was before, there was never like, what type of fluids we're going to choose? There was never this discussion on what's best for the patient. Well, and it's it's so, always a challenge, right? There's only right. so many things you can worry about at right. a time. <laughs> right, 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 right. Is the reality of it. And that's the beauty of working in a team is that we all have our different like passions and priorities and things that we look at. And then we can kind of break, hey, did, were you aware? I have, you know, students will bring things up all the time. Like, hey, would you know? I'm like, I had no idea about that. Let's yeah, look at it. Let's, it. It's really nice when other people bring those things to your attention. Right. There was mm-hmm. a student on clinics just recently and, it, you know, this is unrelated to what we're talking about here, but was like, hey, had you heard about using um, naloxone for treating, oh crap, I can't even remember what it was now. Um, but uh, I was like, no, that it doesn't even make sense to me. And I start looking into right. it. Yeah, there's there's real stuff into that. Okay, I gotta, I gotta go read up on that now because I'd never heard of it. Yeah. Um, so uh, I get the feeling of like, wow, how have I not known this? But yeah, that's why we're doing this. Right, right, right. <laughs> so that, that's awesome, yeah. Yeah. What were your thoughts, David? Uh, I was excited because it just added one more... Um, one more reason to not consider intravenous fluids benign. Yes. So I, for a very long time here, have used more balanced solutions after rehydration, whereas I have not seen my counterparts do that and um, have tried to get patients off fluids as soon as possible uh, because of the many other reasons that we know fluids can be damaging, like effects on the endothelium and... Mm-hmm. Um, effects on kidney function. Um, and so this is just one more reason f- for me to not consider them benign and encourage yeah. people to get patients off fluids as fast as possible and to give them appropriate fluids, not just can remain on saline or LRS indefinitely during their hospital stay. Yeah. Well, I think there's this tendency when we use things commonly to forget how like sure. we have to be we have to really think about them critically. Like, you know, medications that we use all the time, we just sort of, oh, yep, 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 no big deal. But it's like, no, they, everything we do has real world consequences. Right. And I often, when I talk about the same thing to the students, like you don't just go to CVS, they're not over the counter. You don't give yourself IV fluids. Just <laughs> yeah. I, like, it's a real thing and there should be thought put into it and whether or not you need it. And if you do, what type, how much, when do you stop it? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, I think for a long time, we've just kind of gone with, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many other things to worry about. Like, just give them some fluids. Yep. Whatever you choose is fine. Yep. And I, I've said that. <laughs> and I don't completely disagree with that. Like, you know, so we'll, we can get into, like, maybe the first paper. Um, so if we start with the chloride content of fluids used for lar- large volume resuscitation. So it's probably important to point out that both of these are human studies. Right. So, um, but the reason <laughs> these are important um, becomes really I think very apparent in like just reading the abstract and we look at the number of patients that are included. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the huge part for me is these are, these are studies that are really challenging for us to do um, just because of the numbers. Um, so the first, um, the first one I think was like some 4,000 patients. Yeah. Now this is a, the chloride content was a retrospective study. Yeah, that's what So it has its yeah. limitations obviously for that. Um, but they were retrospectively looking at patients and, um, 
really just looking at how much chloride were they getting. So getting back to like what you were saying before, Anna, is that difference between uh, balanced and unbalanced. So we should probably just define that. Right. <laughs> um, so a balanced electrolyte solution in its general definition means that the electrolyte makeup closely resembles what normal extracellular fluid would look like. Um, and an unbalanced solution doesn't. <laughs> the, um, the tonicity or the osmolality is similar to extracellular fluid, but um, the, the electrolyte makeup is not. And generally speaking, the biggest contributor, whether something's balanced or unbalanced, is how much chloride is in it. Mm -hmm. So um, normal saline, 0.9% saline, has 154 milliequivalents per liter of sodium and 154 milliequivalents per liter of chloride. That's a reasonable amount of sodium, but if you look at any patient's chemistry, their sodium um, concentration in their blood is significantly higher than their chloride. It's not a one-to-one. -one. And so that would be an unbalanced solution because it, or a hyperchloremic solution or a hyperchloritic solution. I guess it's not in the blood if it's the fluid. Yeah. But um, so usually when you're talking about a balanced solution, it's lower in chloride. That's the, that's the main feature. Um, the rest of the things, yeah, it'll have a little bit of potassium. It will have, you know, maybe some other electrolytes sprinkled through, but the chloride's the big thing. And so that's what this um, study was focusing on is the effect of all that extra chloride, mm -hmm. recognizing that maybe these unbalanced solutions, um, while potentially life-saving in a pinch, like it's not that they don't have their place, but, um, but everything, you know, comes with a cost. So you guys want to kind of just talk about like what, what was found, like what, just, you know, an overview of the study and kind of the main findings. Yeah, no? All right, Anna, you oh. go first. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of read um, briefly. I didn't have the time to really go into the... the um, I don't know. I see a lot of highlighting on your yeah, page. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> I like those. Yeah, Give yourself some credit. It's yeah. it's complicated stuff, right? It is, and is uh, for me. It takes a little longer <laughs> to read just because because of the English part of things. Sure. Um, but I do uh, basically what they um, what they found was that every like a hundred milliequivalents more. Oh, every. Um, each 100 milliequivalents more in chloride that the patient would receive, mm -hmm. this would decrease the outcome or it would develop or would... Increase their odds of right, mortality. Of like, yeah. Right, mortality, AKI, yeah. or need a renal replacement therapy or something like that. Um, there was an important um, uh, information that I got from this paper. Mm -hmm. But honestly, when we see a patient, let's say for our practice, if we see a, a patient in hypovolemic shock or something, mm -hmm. you just choose any replacement fluid for that time. Sure. And then after, you know, once the patient is more stable, sure. that I think that would, is what's going to make the main difference on the chloride contents. Yeah, so like the, the more excess chloride they got, the worse that seemed right, to right, be. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah. But if you, if, like I said, if you, if you choose any fluid, like depending on the, what the payoff question or replacement fluid, mm -hmm. to give as a bolus mm -hmm. for a critical patient, that won't affect as much the chloride content or would decrease the outcome long-term, right? That That's mainly... Yeah, I mean, again, this is retrospective, so you have to be a little right, bit right, careful yeah. with that, but it, yeah. it, it was related to the amount of excess chloride they got. The chloride load was progressively right. associated with increased risk of death. Yeah. Um, okay. But there were a couple different... Other, there were other things that they looked at. Do you want to talk about some of those things, David? Uh, well, I think, to me, what, what was interesting, what they looked at was the... Um, volume adjusted chloride load mm -hmm. rather than looking 
necessarily at serum chloride concentration. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it seemed to be more the effect of the load of chloride yeah. um, on risk of AKI or development of AKI and mortality rather than serum chloride concentration. Exactly. Um, which implies that it's having an effect on renal function um, or renal hemodynamics, but maybe not on absorption or elimination of chloride in itself. So right. that, in other words, you could have a serum chloride concentration that is normal. And yet if your serum, yet if your chloride load was very high, you're still were at risk for these yeah. adverse outcomes. Um, I think to me, that That's was really, the, the really interesting um, thing that they, they looked at. Well, and really important to know because so, yeah, one of the things they said was what's the incidence of hyperchloremic acidosis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you are more likely to have that the more chloride you get. However, that was not necessarily predictive of what right. your outcome was going to be. It was the actual chloride load. So if you were able to handle all that chloride or we thought you were able to handle right. all that chloride based on your chloride concentration, no. Um, so I think that's what's really important. Yep. So it's not like we can say, oh, well, we'll just monitor their chloride and if it gets high, we'll adjust it. Regardless of what the patient's blood chemistry was telling us, that's right. it was associated with worse outcomes. So that to me was incredibly important. Um, and it, at first you're reading it, you're like, oh, oh, well, it wasn't associated with this. And you're like, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that means we don't even have an easy way to monitor this in a patient. That's right. Right. Um, but it's happening whether we are, are trying to look for it or, or not. Um, again, limitations on this. Um, it's retrospective in nature. Um, but when you get that many numbers, you got to sit up and take note um, is is sort of kind of the overall I'll take. So um, yeah. And so the main, the main issues now, this was, let me make sure I'm not mixing this up, but this was all cause mortality. So it didn't matter um, like all cause mortality, but there was also an increased risk of acute kidney injury, like specifically kidney injury um, in the, the patients that had the higher chloride load again, regardless of whether they had a hyperchloremic acidosis. Um, and this was... Or did I mix that up? Uh, this was related No, it was to, just the hazard of death. This was related, one. like, even if the patient didn't have a previous kidney injury or right. anything like that. Right. No... All patients. All patients, uh, regardless of the, the previous status. Because right. if the patient could not handle the amount of chloride it was given, mm-hmm. then it could develop a uh, right. kidney injury. Okay. And, I, and just to go back, I said that wrong. So it wasn't associated specifically with increased risk of AKI in this study. It was associated with increased risk of death, oh, regardless okay. of whether or not they developed AKI. I think okay. I said that wrong. Um, we'll talk about that more in the next <laughs> paper, though. Um, so, so this, again, you know, people start like, okay, we need to start looking at this because the fluid type we're choosing matters. The other thing we need to put in perspective are these numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, David, do you have those numbers handy? Um, like what, what are the percentages we're talking about? Um, yeah. So um, as far as uh, mortality um, with increasing chloride load, um, there was a 70% increase in the odds of mortality. Um, for a patient receiving a chloride load in the fourth quartile. So that would be Mm -hmm. the highest quartile compared to the first quartile. Um, And as far as what those quartiles were, I don't have that handy. Yeah, I don't really remember that. And it probably, most of us probably don't calculate what our chloride load delivered to our patients is. So it won't inherently be helpful to us if I state those numbers. Um, But perhaps going forward... It may, yeah, with increased awareness. 
I think the, the other thing for me is when you look at like increase in odds ratio of risk of death, it doesn't mean that like thousands more patients in this study were dying in the group that got the chloride. It's actually, when you look at the absolute numbers, um, the, the percentages overall are fairly yes. close, which tells me if we were trying to replicate a study like this <laughs> in veterinary right. medicine, we would never nope. identify yeah. a difference. Yeah. Like it, it took 4,000 patients yeah. um, for them to start yeah. to see these subtle differences. So it doesn't mean that like, oh, yeah. you chose the wrong fluid, your patient's going to suddenly die. That's not what we're talking. We're talking right. about this. And I think that's really hard to wrap your brain around. Yep. Like it's hard for me to wrap my brain around, you know, like you'll talk about, you have to treat thousands of patients, 10,000 patients to save a hundred. And that, and that's that's really what it necess I mean, not in absolute terms, but that's the the magnitude of the difference we're talking about. Yes. However, I mean, if I'm one of those hundred patients, yep. I yeah. I want that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's such a simple thing to choose. You know, LRS or plasmalite A over saline. So it, I I want that, and it's not that a hundred more patients are going to survive, and the rest of them are. You know, it just means like incrementally, like the the sure. amount of injury you're, you're causing a little a little bit of injury probably in all of these patients. Some of them were able to tolerate that and compensate for it, right. and some of them weren't. Um, but it means that, for me, it stinks that this is a human study and we have to extrapolate, but it also tells me, like, it's not it's not feasible in right. veterinary medicine right. for us to have a similar study. And so I then we have to go back to the physiology and say, is there any reason to believe this wouldn't also be true in our or patients? None. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. There's there's no reason to think that. And so, yeah, we're extrapolating, but it makes sense. Like yeah. we just, we're sure. just going to have to borrow from this and say, we need to make wise decisions. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, the second article that you chose, I think has some very small differences yeah. in outcomes, like yeah. one to 2% difference yep. between groups that um, received a balanced versus an unbalanced solution. Um and yeah, we never yeah. have populations nope. where you could find that significant a significant difference in that small of a uh, change difference between two groups. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just not going to happen. And um, you know, there is one recent um, article in dogs looking at serum chloride concentration mm -hmm. on outcome, and um, you know, they ultimately determined that. They didn't find There's no difference, no right. difference, but yeah. that's because they only had eight patients with <laughs> oh, an odd diverse so yeah. outcome. <laughs> the number's um, not. And that was done in yeah. a, a fairly, not a fairly busy, a very busy emergency and critical mm -hmm. care unit. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a great point you bring up that yeah. just because there are not significant differences doesn't mean there aren't, the, there wouldn't the, be. The, the theory is not important. Right. Yeah. Well, and so it was a good segue into the second study. So the nice thing, so the first one was retrospective, but right. then we have now this prospective study looking at, you know, similar, uh, you know, similar question being asked. So in this situation, they weren't looking at chloride load. So for balanced crystalloids versus saline and critically ill adults, the New England Journal of Medicine article, this is a prospective study where patients were randomized um, for the duration of the month that they were in the ICU to like for this month, you're going to get this fluid. So some patients may have gotten a little bit of both, mm -hmm. but basically you're either going to get a balanced um, solution or a normal saline. Mm -hmm. um, but it was prospective. It was randomized. It was not um, blinded, um, but they did that. And they had 8,000, uh, almost 8,000 patients yeah. in each group. Yeah. So yeah, like it's just mm -hmm. it's talk about 8,000 versus eight, like, ugh. and the differences are, it's, it, it's not that, you know, in the, in the, 
sailing group, 50% of them died and 12% right. of them died. It's, it's a different, it was like 14 or 15% or something yeah, like that. Like the numbers. Something, yep. yeah. yeah. And again, is that a dramatic thing? Does that mean like you're a bad person if you've been using saline all this time? No. Does that mean you're never going to save a patient if you use the normal saline? Of course not. But, um, it, Again, we should be thinking about this. And if we can make small differences with simple choices, why are we not doing that? Right. Um, I mean, we, you know, we see thousands of patients yeah. a year on our service and yep. 1% of a thousand is 10. So, yeah. I mean, I'm if, I could, to if, I could have, if I could have 10 more survive, that would, yeah, that would, not, I would be a major impact. Or, yeah, or not even push them in, to AKI or anything like yeah. that. 10 that'll, more that'll survive be, yeah. with yeah. the simplest thing right. we could possibly do. Like, yeah. I can't come up with a simpler thing that we can do to have a small but real impact on our patients, which is, I think, really cool. Now, yeah. I don't know if either of you guys did this, but I, when I was, um, when you're, when you're reading the second article, um, you know, you always have these big multi-center studies and they're like, oh, by the way, we were also doing this other study at the same time. Mm -hmm. So they referenced, um, cause these patients were in the ICU. So right. these are patients that are already admitted to the ICU, but they had a, a corollary study happening in the ER um, that they referenced. And I went back, I didn't read the whole thing. Um, and it's, I think it's like, hang on, I'll let everybody know so they can go back to it too. It's like the 14th reference for this paper. Um, but they're, <clears throat> they're doing essentially the same study, randomizing patients to either get saline or a balanced either LRS or plasma light A. And so, yeah, it's balanced crystalloids versus saline in non-critically mm -hmm. ill adults. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. It was non-critically ill adults was yeah. the other group, New England Journal of Medicine. And in that one, there wasn't as impressive of a difference if you go and look at that. Um, particularly, so if you're in the ER and short term, like what you were talking about, Anna, in the first um, the first paper we were talking about, a little bit of excess chloride for a while is probably not going to make a huge difference. Um, but if you continue on right. that, you know, you just keep punching the kidneys essentially. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I just kind of wanted to point that out that it, this is not like saline is always bad and LRS is always good. Um, but we have to look at things a little more nuanced, but we have to think about this. Right, right. And so, yeah, in this study, they had 8,000 patients in roughly a little less than that in each group. And, um, there was a statistically significant differences in, in this case, mortality and the inc incidences of um, new renal replacement therapy or just uh, progressive or worsening AKI if they already had it, uh, new AKI, I think all of those things. What am mm -hmm. I missing? No, that, that's everything. I, yeah. um, looking at the abstract, the final line under results where it uh, talks about incidence of persistent renal dysfunction mm -hmm. um, being... 6.4 in one group and 6.6. .6. Oh, yeah. If you look at the p-value, it's 0 0.6, yeah. which um, would, I can't think of any study where that would be considered significant. So no. I'm, no. I'm a little um, confused between that line and then the conclusion where they um, state that the use of balanced crystalloids um, for intravenous fluid administration resulted in lower rate of persistent renal dysfunction. Yeah, you're right. Saline. Hang on. Um, and I'm probably that? missing something. Yeah, I didn't. Um, You're right. That was a good catch. Hang on. Hmm. Let's look at the results. In um, the and if you if you look at some of their other p-values within the results there for uh, in-hospital mortality at 30 days, that was 0 0.06. Yeah. Um, so close to 0.05, and, yeah. and some studies will consider 0.1, meaning yeah. there's a 90% likelihood. Um, so that one doesn't bother me, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, 0.6 isn't. I'm trying to go back to look at the results themselves. <laughs> yeah. Like, was that a typo? Or, because, yeah, that, that's essentially saying there wasn't a difference wasn't between those. Correct. Yeah. Is, is how I would look at that. Um, 
Well, and you do have to be careful when it comes to the statistics, right? Because if you decide the statistics you want to do after you've got your data, you can oftentimes massage things a little bit um, to get where you want them to be. But um, usually on these kinds of large scale studies, that's all been decided beforehand what stats they're going right. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, it was the SALTA trial. Yeah, that is weird. Hmm. I didn't catch that. Good catch. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't catch either. that until today, <laughs> just now. So yeah, I'll I have didn't. to go back and try yeah. to sort that out. But that's the important thing, like reading these things critically too mm-hmm, right. um, and looking at that. I mean, I think the overall take home is still valid, which is that, you know, if, barring any other specific reason to use an unbalanced solution, um, if you need to give a replacement th- fluid to a patient, you should probably strongly consider giving a balanced solution yeah. over an unbalanced solution. Like, yeah. Yeah, the, the I'd end. like to come back to that, but one other thing I'd just like to point out between these differences between these two studies is the first one that you mentioned was what they called a large volume resuscitation oh, yeah. or right. 60 milliliters per, yeah. per kilogram. Yeah. That was a lot. And this study was not constri- restricted to patients with large volume resuscitation. Yeah. And my recollection from reading this is that many of these patients only got a liter yeah. of yeah. fluids, yeah. Um, which... Uh, you know, we have many very small patients mm-hmm. that end up getting a liter of yeah. balanced or unbalanced yeah. solution yeah. during the course of their stay here. So I'd say just because of how veterinarians and uh, including in our hospital tend to apply fluid mm-hmm. therapy, I think we exceed the rates that given yeah. in these studies, even on patients who don't come in critically ill yeah. or in hypovolemic shock. Yeah. Um, because there's this perception that they're safe, the animal yep. might not drink, they might have ongoing fluid losses, so let's just not have to worry about that yep. by keeping them on fluid therapy. Absolutely. No, it's a really good point. Um, I, I will say, yeah, and then probably part of the reason some of the patients in that second study didn't, because they were, it was ICU admission, so they, mm-hmm. prob- they may have gotten huge volume loads prior to admission into an ICU, um, partly because, you know, yes. human hospitals are, they're bigger and they're a lot more complicated. So you go from this department to the ICU. So when they were admitted to the ICU, that's kind of when the clock started for this right. study. That's a good point. Um, so some of them, it, mm-hmm. it complicates things It muddies the yes. water. But I, again, when you have that many numbers, you can be like, I feel pretty confident in that. But I think that your point is valid, David, that we might actually be exacerbating things even more mm-hmm. um, because of how liberal we tend to be with fluids in right. veterinary medicine. Right. Um, sure. I mean, how many times have you, have you heard somebody say, oh, they're on IV fluids because they're not drinking or they yeah. might not drink several times. Well, it's, it's why, why would you assume they might not drink? Just mm-hmm. find out if they're not going to drink. That's yes. a, a pretty rare problem. I'm actually animals right. don't drink. pretty sure I'm assuming like, they're not going to drink because they're right. on fluids, fluids yeah. and yeah. therefore they have to stay in the hospital yeah. for the rest of their lives. I mean, I've seen yeah. one patient in my entire career that was truly adipsic. I've seen one too. Oh. Right. So yeah. it wasn't the same to, one, but to still th- <laughs> to think that they're not going to drink is pretty absurd. That's yeah, actually yeah. the exact thing I tell <laughs> students. I was like, maybe one of you in the room once in your entire career will end up, yeah. you know, interacting with an animal with a true psychogenic adipsia. I've mm-hmm. seen one and it wasn't my case. <laughs> it was somebody else's and they're incredibly rare. Um, everyone else. Well, the other thing is they're eating, but they're not drinking. And it's like, if they're eating, they're going to drink. Right, the thirst right. stimulus is so much more powerful yes. than the hunger stimulus. Yes. Correct. Except in me. That's and not I'll, true in me. <laughs> and I'll point out that animals eating a maintenance amount of a canned food are almost receiving their daily yeah. water requirements merely from that yes. and from dry food 
are still getting about 40% of their water yeah. requirements. Yeah. 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 And I've seen people saying just because they're in the ICU, they need to be on IV fluids. There's no even like, or, well, you know, they already yeah. bought the bag. Yeah. yeah. So or it's like or to keep the, the, bag, keep so the yeah. IV catheter patent. patent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've heard God. that too. So that's yeah. not, there's a lot of really crummy justifications yes. Yes. for giving or um, continuing IV right. fluids. Right. Um, and you know, or continuing on a fluid that's not appropriate. Yes. And well, they already paid for this. No, like, yeah. Oh, we don't want to switch it out. There's or, no, um, now I've been doing more, um, you know, like if they need, if they are dehydrated, I choose a replacement mm -hmm. fluid. I yeah. calculate how much, and then I keep them also on a maintenance. Yes. Fluid. So both, Good. um, that's something I've been trying to change just to avoid. Yeah. Giving them the extra solute that they don't right, need. They so don't yeah, need more chloride, more sodium. Using they don't the need, fluid yeah. type that's appropriate for what you want to give. Right. Giving a fluid amount that seems reasonable, and we we do. It's it's hard. Like you know, I'm not here to be like it's super easy. And why mm -hmm. is everybody doing this wrong? Like it's really hard to estimate how much fluid a patient needs when they have regurgitation, vomiting, diarrhea. But we overestimate oh, how yes. much fluid they're losing every single time, yeah. Yeah. and we rarely think that any of the things that are going wrong with our patients could possibly be from fluid overload. Correct. Like, so I was talking with some students um, this morning. We have a patient in um, our um, isolation ward with parvovirus. Yeah. And parvo is one of those um, scenarios where I'm convinced, and I need to do this study one day, because I don't think it would take 8,000 patients to prove it, mm -hmm. but I'm convinced that we routinely fluid overload Overload. our parvo patients yeah. because and and fluids are life-saving i love it like fluids are, are really important and that's like the mainstay of therapy for parvo um, but we routinely fluid overload them which contributes to their ileus their regurgitation um, but we're, we're reviewing the chemistry for this dog and like all of the values on the chemistry are low like all of them mm -hmm. and so yeah. i'm like what are your differentials for that talking with the students they never come up with iatrogenic fluid overload like yeah. we are diluting everything out that was not on their radar at all yeah. and i think that's common i don't think it's on most people's radar that we are causing any of these they'll look at the yeah. electrolytes i'm like but why are the liver values really low why are the renal values really low that's probably us and um yeah. you know I, we just, I, I would like kind of, as you were saying at the beginning, David, more reasons to be like, Hey, let's remember these aren't benign. Like they have consequences. They, it's not a placebo that you're putting in that bag. Like it's a real treatment and comparatively safe for versus, you know, giving, you know, amicacin sure. But that doesn't mean completely safe. And we can affect how safe they are, you know, by yeah. just taking some time to think about it and, you know, reassess our patient at least every day or multiple times a day is even better. Um, and consider what, what are we doing? Are we doing too much? Are we not doing enough? Um, you know, the odds of us getting the fluid, you know, plan right exactly the first try is one unlikely and the odds that the patient needs that exact amount continuously thereafter is also incredibly unlikely yeah. um and so we tend to just be like oh, all right we did that yesterday it seemed to be working let's just keep it up like well is the patient exactly the same today as it was yesterday and hopefully not because uh, no, the whole point is it should something. be getting better yeah <laughs> yeah i've i've told bobby about this once before in the context of us uh talking about how to induce emesis mm -hmm. um and I was talking about using salt. Yeah. Um, and during that discussion came up a, with a visual that I use when I'm teaching residents and sometimes students to show them just how absurd the amount of fluids and sodium yeah. chloride that we give patients is, which is that I show them one little bag that shows how much sodium chloride a dog consumes um, in a day, a healthy mm -hmm. dog consumes in a day in its dog food versus how much um, sodium chloride they would receive 
if they were receiving a bag of saline at a maintenance fluid rate. Mm -hmm. And it's about 10 times as much. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of gross when you see how much mm -hmm. salt, um, if, yeah. if I show you two bags of salt, yep. um, you know, if we, if we, if we had something like that, uh, if we had our own little yeah. uh, board outside of ECC, our own little display board, and we had we bags of that. how much sodium you're giving with sodium quality and also oh, showing how much water they're getting. Yeah. The IV fluids compared to how much they That's would drink. That's actually a really good idea. It, it doesn't address <laughs> the physiologic problems that no. are occurring from it, but it gives you a visual of how different what we're doing is from what would normally occur yeah. in health. And of course, we're treating patients that are ill. Sure. But they're not. They don't suddenly have like this. Yeah demand for 10 right. times the amount of salt. Like that's, right. that's not exactly. a thing. Yeah. Um, no, I actually really like that because visuals are, are meaningful. Like I can think you go to a museum or something like that and they'll do that. Like here's a perspective on, you know, how much, oh, we were just at the, um, we were in DC not that long ago at the Smithsonian and they have um, like water content of different um, rocks and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it was really kind of incredible but like yeah. those visual represent you're like all right here's a stone that's this much based on what type of stone this is it contains a lot of fluid this has this much water i'm like what that's not possible right <laughs> you know i i mean I, awesome. I trust them because they're the experts right. not me but i'm just like dang like right. that visual representation is actually yeah we should get a little shadow box and we, we can should. start doing that i think that's <laughs> a really like good a, idea. you know our own like elementary school classroom yes. we'll have our own board we'll decorate it each month and yeah. put, a, put some uh did visual, you know? visual displays up there. Yeah, did you know? Well, yeah. The did you know board? Yep. That's a good idea. All right. <laughs> That'd gonna, be fun. We're going to make that happen. <laughs> um, any, you know, final thoughts, comments, questions, things that you were otherwise bothered by or take homes? Um, I thought it was, they don't, you know, there's not a, neither of these papers offered a definitive mechanism by which these adverse outcomes occur right. as a result of chloride content. But I think probably the one that is that they explained in which I think um, relates to mechanisms that we certainly talk about with renal physiology and dogs mm -hmm. and cats is tubular glomerular feedback mm -hmm. and recognizing that in the distal tubule that, that tubular flow and tubular chloride content has feedback on the afferent arterial mm. such that when you have high chloride and high flow in that tubule, the body perceives that is there's too much filtration too much. going on, too much mm. being lost. And so we're going to minimize how much blood gets filtrated by causing the renal afferent arterial to constrict. And so then you're also getting restriction of nutrients and oxygen. Yeah. Um, and so it's perhaps that's the mechanism that chloride is, is causing this acute kidney injury. And it's at least, I think, nice to have, yeah, even if it's not the point. right mechanism, it's a mechanism that sort of makes, makes sense. sense and that mm. you've probably heard of before, even if you yeah. don't remember, remember in it. detail, <laughs> um, instead of just saying, well, it's just true that just believe us that high chloride causes, a, you know, yeah. increase the risk of acute kidney injury. It's, yeah. I find it harder to just take somebody's word without sure. some logic that yeah, and, and it does make sense if you go back to the physiology. And, yeah. and the funny thing is when we talk about the physiology, we chloride really doesn't get a lot of no, credit, no. Uh, a lot of mention, a lot of, a lot of air time. Yeah, um, that's why it was just... Yeah, but it does it, like, it does play an important role in these very specific right. areas. And, and 
yeah, I just, I feel like the same topics come up all the time, but I was talking to the student, like understanding the physiology, then you start reasoning through why this is happening in your patient. Yeah. So yeah, it's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up, David, like going mm -hmm. back to why, you know, it, not definitively proven, um, but it makes sense. Um, so there is at least a plausible reason for this to be. And, you know, maybe more studies will come out and show that it's multifactorial or, you know, yeah. who knows, or something else, but it, it does make sense when you think about it that way. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, the body's generally pretty good about handling things, but when we start mucking around and changing things, like any time you make something, you know, much higher or much lower than it normally would be, there's probably consequences. Oh, yeah. So, um, no, good point. Any any other thoughts? Any other things you want to bring up? I think everything we talked already just main, mainly being mindful of the yeah. fluid that you choose and the reasons why you choose to be on IV yeah. fluids. That's so, the take home. So Bobby, you started asking this and, and I'll go ahead and ask it. So is there a reason for us to be using 0.9% saline instead of just stocking hypertonic saline for resuscitation and then yeah. balanced fluids for other yeah. purposes? That is a, a very good question. I am struggling to come up with the last yeah. time I, I said, I want normal saline. Mm -hmm. Um, some exceptions would be, uh, but even then I don't, I don't really need it. Like if you had a hypernatremic patient that you yeah. needed to resuscitate, sure. you could say, I want to start with, this as my base solution yep. and then add more saline to it. But like, I could also just add to hypertonic saline to LRS right, to get right. the sodium where I right. need it to be for right. a, a hyperosmolar patient. So, um, you know, I can't remember which one, one of these papers talked about, um, the exclusion criteria, um, for the enrolled patients. And that would be if they were hyperkalemic or if they had like some sort of brain injury, they were worried about mm -hmm. brain swelling and they were like, okay, we, we would want to use saline. And I was like, yeah, but those aren't, those are reasons that I would like, if they're hyperkalemic, I could, I'm still happy to use LRS because right, the amount of potassium in LRS is minimal and right, I'm fine with that. Um, and usually if they're hyperkalemic, at least in our patients, they probably also have some kidney injury. Right. Um, and so I'm like, actually, I still want to use LRS in those cases. So um, I, I think it's hard to say definitively that if mm -hmm. you have certain situations where you want to pull for saline that you're wrong, because I don't know that we have the studies to say in all of these situations. But I think your point is a good, like, I, I don't use normal saline. I don't yeah, anymore. I, don't, I used to. I, I used yeah. to, of course. But I don't anymore. Um, I'd also, I wish we had uh, a balanced maintenance solution that didn't contain a bunch of dextrose. <laughs> like, because when I use half-strength saline as my maintenance solution, right. which I tend to use, partly because it's cheaper than the commercially available ones, and it also doesn't have a bunch of extras, excess dextrose. Um, but I do worry, even in those situations, that the amount of chloride I'm giving is more than the patient needs. Um, it's probably, again, looking at that first paper, like the total chloride load is probably much better than all the patients that are getting LRS as their quote-unquote maintenance fluid. But... Um, yeah, I, I, I still don't love even just using 0.45% saline. But yeah, I rarely use it. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys. I don't, yeah, I rarely, like you said, mainly it's the hypernatremic yeah. patients. But, but I can just make my own, I have make, to adjust it anyway. Right, you can make, we can add just more. Just get some hypertonic saline from yeah. the shelf. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't been too discriminating about which I use for initial yeah. replacement mm -hmm. um, fluids. Um and I will be more cognizant yeah. of it going yeah. forth. Um, so I mentioned that there was a recent paper um, out of AMC uh, entitled A Preliminary Investigation into the Association of Chloride Concentration on Morbidity and Mortality in Hospitalized Canine Patients. Mm -hmm. And while they didn't find well, their conclusions, um, 
were that they didn't find, um, sorry, they found that maximum corrected chloride concentrations were significantly higher in dogs hospitalized in the ICU longer compared to those hospitalized shorter. That's Makes not sense. too surprising. <laughs> yeah. um, there was no significant difference in the volume adjusted chloride load in any of the outcome groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still found non-significant mm-hmm. things that they felt were important. And so they conclude with results from this study suggest alterations in chloride may be observed alongside the development of acute kidney injuries, mm-hmm. but they weren't able to discern whether the chloride, whether the, um, whether the high chloride solutions were given to these patients because they had AKI gotcha. or if the high chloride solutions preceded the onset of acute kidney injury and thus might've been the yeah. cause or risk factor for it. Yeah. Um, but the reason that I'm bringing this article up is because the, this comes out of uh, the emergency and critical care unit at AMC. Mm-hmm. And in this article, they state that they do not utilize, they do not use 0.9% saline. Mm-hmm. So they actually had to, to get they it to and start. make sure people understood oh, to wow. give it as part of this study yeah. um, because they only keep balanced solutions. I think they said they keep um, LRS and plasma light A. a. Yeah. Um, that's so interesting. something for us to think yeah. about. I mean, yeah. it's it's hard in a in a big hospital like this with lots of services yes. um, to just I, like to dictate what everybody else will oh, use. Sure. But like, it is good to talk about these things right. because it, it's my impression that most people just haven't come across this. Just like you said, exactly. Anna, it's not at that like I don't care. Um, it's just like, wait, what? We're supposed yeah. to be worrying about this? Yeah, and that's, um, that's the thing. And that's so, about awareness too. you know, uh, you know, we we talk. We maybe we talk to our pharmacy and we say, hey guys, you should be aware that. Um, you know, I'm still, I think we're making headway on the difference between a replacement and a mm-hmm. maintenance fluid. I think, <laughs> right. I, I think we are seeing more and more people using a maintenance fluid for maintenance, right. um, which is exciting. Um, and so maybe this is like the follow-up of that. And um, yeah, there's two different approaches, right? You can take the heavy handed approach and be like, you guys will all do it this way. And we're not even going to have this available or, yeah. you know, more of like, let's, let's try to get people learning and understanding sure. the benefits of, of one versus the other. Well, so we, ten- we tend to copy each other. We all want to be part of a group, right? Yeah. So the more you see people do Doing something, hey, the more you're inclined you to, yeah. to to follow and do what they're doing, or ask, and yeah. then be convinced Reasons. to change. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, um, this was really great. Yep, I'm very absolutely. excited. Very excited for our first journal club. I'd call that uh, a success. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, some other people out there were like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> um, right, just right. like just like you were, and yeah. um, so you can, like I said, we'll put the I'll put the links to these articles, so you can, uh, if you're listening now, you can go look at those yourselves. And I would encourage you to do so. Th- these are not the only two articles out here um, on this. Um, David, you mentioned right. one, um, and I'll put that one um, in the link as well, or in the whatever, the little description. I'll, I'll have Topher do it is really what I'm saying. <laughs> and, um, but I encourage you to, you know, look look yourselves, you know. Um, and don't feel bad if you hadn't heard of this before. Um, no. That's Hopefully that's why you're listening. Right. So you can start to learn right. about more things. And there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so many things any one of us can possibly keep track of. Right. Um, and just be like grateful when you do come across the new information. Like, cool, now I know that. Learning, and that yeah. I didn't know before. So um, um, that's the point of the Journal Club is just um, increased exposure, talking about these types of things. Um, so thank you both um, for being here. I'm you sure so we'll, you guys uh, will hopefully have a, a nice mixture of people that can come from week to week. It won't always be the same folks, but um, thanks for being here for the first one. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. We will catch you next time.